Good morning. Good morning. Melekalikimaka. We in Romans 16 this morning. Welcome for those who are visiting. My name is Randy Pauly. Please forgive the construction uh, that is going on in the restrooms. We do have restrooms off to my left, your right. If you should need them in the service, don't hesitate to go. I also wanted to give a shout out and a thank you. I'm not sure if I missed the announcements or not um, to Uncle Bob and his business for repaving and doing the asphalt in the parking lot. And they did all of that um, out of the kindness of their heart. So just thank them. December 7th. December 7th, the year is 1941. About 353 Japanese fighter planes conducted a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, resulting in the death of about 2,400 military servicemen. That would later draw America into a war that would yield lives of 419,000. And that happened yesterday, 1941. For many of us, not myself, but some of you are of Japanese descent. Those alive in that time suffered some form of, you could say, persecution. And now here we are today, together as one. And the gospel of Christ cut right through racial tensions. Drawing people together that would otherwise have no reason whatsoever to be associated, united. And here we are, brothers and sisters, because in Christ, we are now a family. We are giving new brothers and new sisters a family that goes on more than flesh and blood, but goes on for eternity because of the gospel. And we're going to see a little bit of that demonstrated this morning in Romans 16. As we begin to wrap up this letter, hopefully I haven't bitten off more than I can chew. We're going to tackle 23 verses today. So you guys know we're going to be here a while. No, hopefully I haven't bitten off too much, more than I can chew. We're going to see Paul. He's going to exemplify that very unity that the gospel creates. He's going to urge vigilance. And he promises deliverance in light of the imminent return of Christ. That's what we're going to see. My points this morning will be a great greeting. A great greeting, that'll be verses 1 through 16. A great warning. And then we're going to have a greater promise. There will be a great greeting, a great warning, and a greater promise. I'll try not to take up the full four hours this morning. The way we're going to do it this time is I will read a few verses and comment due to the sheer number of verses. I'll also need extra grace as I try and stumble through some of these names. 
So you can, as we go in the scripture and as we pray, you can pray for me that I would get these things and do honor to the word of God by pronouncing words correctly. So let's pray and I'll start. And dear merciful Father, thank you. Thank you that in love you moved towards us. We who are most unholy, most unlovable, detestable in your eyes, but you loved us while we were enemies and you drew towards us. You sought us out and you saved us. Lord, as your word is preached, I pray that you would create that heart within each and every one of us, that we would have a love that moves us towards each other and moves us towards others to share the gospel of Christ, Lord. Pray that you would be lifted up and glorified this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancreae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. We'll start there. First of all, who is this Phoebe? She's kind of important. Why? Because she's the only one in this book that Paul gives a commendation to. She is also a she. Most believe that Miss Phoebe was the one who actually carried the letter to the church at Rome from Paul and Corinth. Why do I say it's significant that she's a woman? Well, kind of like us here, you know, Baptists were known to be like, Woman haters, that's what a lot of people think. It wasn't all that different back then. Women were not held in high esteem. But remember what I said, the gospel unites people and gives people prominence who otherwise would have no business being in a position. And here is Paul entrusting perhaps the greatest New Testament letter we have to a woman. And he gives her a title. She is a servant of the church. She is a servant of the church. Simple enough, I wish it were. What is, she, what is he saying about this woman? Is he saying that she's just a worker, just like many of you are, are, are here, your faithful servants in the Lord of the church at Kahului Baptist? It's a subject of great controversy because that word servant is the same word for deacon. It's the same word for deacon. So what's the controversy? Well, the controversy is, was this woman a deacon? Held the office of a deacon. Well, don't you know that 1 Timothy 3 says that the men likewise and goes on and gives qualifications and that women are clearly, clearly not allowed to hold that office? Yes, I am aware of what, what that says. So what's the controversy? The controversy is also that word, their wives, when it's referring to deacons. It's not just as simple as translating it, their wives, because the same word that's translated wives is also translated women. Women, likewise. So there's just a great controversy. Guys who I love and respect on both sides saying women can be deacons. And others saying they cannot be deacons. And that all comes to bear now when they look at this passage and consider our sister Phoebe. What was she? 
she holding the office or was she a servant? We know this much at least. She served Christ with what she had. That nobody has a disagreement on. But what of this issue of whether she was a deacon or not? And why am I bringing that up? We'll answer both of those. You might be like, man, I don't understand all this stuff with words. And, and how come, you know, if you have the NIV, it'll actually say in 1 Timothy 3, their wives. If you have the New American Standard Bible or version, as some of you do, it'll say the women likewise. What's of this, this issue of, of disagreeance among the translations? Isn't this the word of God? How, isn't, don't you just open a dictionary, look at the word, and translate it right there? If only it were that easy. If only it were that easy. Let me give you an illustration maybe that we can here in Hawaii wrap our minds around. When I moved from the mainland, it's kind of a culture shock. I had a little bit of vernacular to learn. And it wasn't very long that I came across, oh, go grab the kind. <clears throat> Excuse me, what? <laughs> go get the kind thing over there. Okay, okay, okay. I got it. Um, this this the kind thing. I remember, and I'd heard many versions. I've heard the kind, kind, small kind, big kind, no kind, any kind, being made any kind, and my favorite, stupid kind. I've heard them all. So when I asked somebody, I said. Can somebody please explain to me? I, I think I got it. I think I kind of wrapped my mind, but can you give me a definition of the kind? And they said, oh, you know, it's, it's the kind, the kind thing. <laughs> oh, the kind, give me what the kind is. <laughs> I said, okay, I, I think I understand. And so you see how difficult, even in our own little language here, the confusion that can abound in our such things like we have here. Women, the wives, what is this word? How does it translate? Well, it depends a lot on the context you find it in. It's not as simple, like I said, of the kind. It's the kind women. That's what they are. You know, they're the kind. That's what they do. So, I would think, from what I've looked, I do think that Miss Foybe was a deacon of the church, a deaconess, if you will. And I think... We subvert scripture, even if you don't think women are allowed to be deacons. I've said this before. I think we subvert scripture by making different terms for what otherwise the women are doing. So we call them committee chairs. Where they're doing otherwise everything that a deacon would do, but just without the title. And I think Paul is here saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant, a deacon of the church. She is faithful in what she has, and I ask that you would welcome her in the Lord. Welcome her in a manner worthy of all the saints. And help her. Why? Because she has helped many. She's prominent, she's probably wealthy, and she has helped many, including, what does Paul say? Including myself. She's helped me also. So welcome her, help her, speed her on her way, wherever she needs, help her. And we do the same thing here when we hear of somebody from Kentucky coming and visiting. 
Say, Dr. Oryx coming. Help him in whatever he may need. And we, we do what we can to help them in a manner worthy of the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We help him and we send him on his way. We'll go 3 to 16. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinitus, who is also the first convert to Asia. Notice how he notes that, the first convert. The first convert is always special. Why? Because of who they are? No, but because they're the first answer to many, many prayers. Or the word is actually first fruits. They're also a sign of more to come. I wonder who the first convert at Kahului Baptist Church was. Maybe some of you know. I do not. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trufina and Trufosa. Greet the beloved Perseus who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, likely the son of Simon the Cyrene. You remember Simon? Jesus is going down the road and somebody says, you carry his cross. They believe this is Rufus, his son, one of his sons. And notice what he says about his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Some of you women in here have been mothers, spiritual mothers to many of us. And that is the Lord's desire for you, that you would be a mother, not only a physical mother, but also a spiritual mother to many, to encourage many. And Paul has benefited from her ministry. Greet Rufus' mother. 14. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. All the churches of Christ greet you. What's so great about this greeting? One of them is the sheer number of people Paul mentions. 28 names in all, or individuals identified. 28, the longest of any in the New Testament. Why is that significant? If I were to ask you off the top of your head, roll out 28 people in this church that you regularly think about, and when you're writing a letter, you'll just say, greet Paula and Erica and whoever else, to a church that you've never been to. It's 
It's amazing. What's amazing about it? I think the answer we find in chapter 1, Paul says this, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. What is God witness? That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Paul loves this church in Rome. He prays for them by name. So whenever the time comes and he's writing a letter, it's just like running through his daily prayer list. Greet Rufus. Greet Philologos. Greet, greet his mother. Greet the churches in, in Prisca and Aquila's house. He has a pattern of prayer. Brothers and sisters, it is my desire that we would likewise be a point where we have a pattern of prayer for our missionaries so that when they come in, it's not like, who is this guy? I, who is this guy, Pastor Krim? No, it's, Pastor Krim, I've been praying for you. Praise God. When I went to the MCBA meeting, annual meeting, a man came up to me and I said, he asked me what my name was. I said, my name is Randy. He said, you're the new pastor. I've been praying for you and for your wife, Brittany. And he knew their names in Titus. And I'd never met him before. And I was so encouraged because this man, I, I know he had been praying for me because he just on the spot knew. Oh, that we would do the same things for, for one another. That we would be in prayer. The other thing that's significant about this list 12 times, 12 times of all these greetings, he says, in Christ, in Christ, in the Lord. Greet my beloved in the Lord. Greet my beloved Urbanus. Greet, greet Apelles, chosen in the Lord. Because when Paul looks at them now, because they're in Christ, he can't help but see anything else about who they used to be. But he sees Christ. You've got slave names, you've got Romans, you've got Jews, you've got all these. He doesn't say that or focus heavily on that. He focuses on what? You are in the Lord, and because you're in the Lord, I am praying for you, and I love you. I'm welcoming you, the very thing I told you to do in chapter 14 and 15, for the glory of Christ. Twelve times he sees him as in the Lord, Brothers and sisters, when I see you, when we see each other, we shouldn't see, oh, there's Uncle West Japanese and there's so-and-so. It's my beloved Uncle West, chosen in the Lord. Greet his beloved, my, his mother also, Auntie Pauline. She has been a mother to me too. See one another for who you are in Christ. What else does this passage teach us? Well, it also shows us that, as Warren Worsby said, Paul wasn't just a soul winner. He was a friend maker. He was a friend maker. He had friends in the Lord. He loved them. He cherished them. He thanked them, and he thought about them. Paul's spiritual life, far from being so, like we saw in the Gospel Project, so heavenly-minded, they're of no earthly good. Paul was heavenly-minded in order to be of earthly good good. His theology moved him to draw near to people. 
And if our study of theology of this great doctrine in Romans of 1 through 11 doesn't lead us in love towards one another, we're not done. We haven't finished our studies or we've gone astray. Paul's theology moved him in love towards his brothers and his sisters. Then he says this thing about holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Some commentators bend over backwards to try and, and sweep this under the rug because it's so cultural. We don't kiss in America. We, we extend the right hand of fellowship. In Hawaii, we give, we give hugs, and I think the term is honey honies. Is that right? The kiss on the cheek, the one that I still don't fully understand. I don't know when do I kiss or when do I get kissed. Is this somebody who's, who's above? Or, or So I just, it ends up being awkward, and so I just touch your cheek, so I'm sorry. What Paul is saying here is greet one another in a manner that is culturally appropriate and affectionate. That is culturally appropriate and affectionate. If you go to the mainland and you start hugging and kissing everybody, you might be likely to church discipline. <laughs> greet them in a way that's culturally appropriate and that shows affection. So we could say a holy honey honey. Greet one another, brothers and sisters, with a holy honey honey or a hug. Show love for one another. That's what we do. This is what Christ has done in us. And what's amazing is I'm showing love towards people I have no reason otherwise to be affiliated with. People that aren't like me or my age or my current particular stage of life, old people, young people, middle-aged people. Paul is crossing all sorts of barriers in this portion, all sorts of barriers. We should be doing the same, brothers and sisters. Strive for this type of love, one for another. We'll move on. Greet one another with the holy honey honey. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil." Wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So we see the great greeting. Now we're on the great warning. And the way we can sum this warning up is greet the sheep, avoid the wolves. You can greet the sheep and you avoid the wolves. The first thing he says is watch out. Second command is avoid them. Watch out, avoid. How do you know them? They have three characteristics. One, they're divisive. They're divisive. Two, they don't serve the glory of Christ. They serve themselves. John Calvin said the, in, the undistinguishable, undistinguishable mark of a false teacher is that they serve not, they don't care for the glory of Christ, but only for themselves. 
They're building their own kingdoms. They get frustrated when their ideas aren't paraded. They get mad whenever their things don't go their way because they don't care about the glory of Christ or the unity of the church. They care only about their own appetites. They're divisive. They're self-serving. And they do it all with smooth talk and flattery. With smooth talk and flattery. First one, divisive. What are they divisive over? Remember in chapter 14, there were some divisions being caused in the church, but Paul didn't label them false teachers because they had differences of opinion over days and diets. What is he talking about here? Let's look at the text. They cause divisions and create obstacles. What? Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. In Romans 6.17, he calls it a standard of teaching, the pattern of sound words, or in Acts 20, the whole counsel of God. So that means at least two things. One, there is a doctrine that's worth dividing over. There is a doctrine that is worth dividing over. Two, these aren't preferential things. I like orange carpet. I like green. Well, I'm going to go to church over here then. Shoots. No, these are areas of doctrine, like what? The nature of the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the nature of Christ, the person and work of Christ. Is he God? Is he not? The nature and, and doctrine of our salvation. Are you justified by faith alone, apart from the works of the law? These are the types of things Paul has in mind. We are so backwards, though, because we often divide over preferences and unite over blatant, blatant departures from doctrine. Because they fit with our preferences. They fit. So we say things like, can't we just follow Jesus? And then somebody comes in and they have another book and they say, hey, look, we're all about Jesus, too. We believe in Jesus, and by grace through faith, and we even read the King James Bible, we just also read this other book. We'll call it the Pearl of Great Price, or Doctrines and Covenants. We're all the same. And with smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the naive. Paul says, watch out for them. Watch out for them. Be careful. Paul even told pastors, from among your own selves will men rise up and teach twisted things. Watch out and be careful. And the moment, an issue of caution for us, that we start to pursue our own kingdoms, our own desires at the expense of the glory of Christ, be careful because you might be headed down a road that will end in this. You are a propagator of false teaching. Be careful. Just be careful. And if you find yourself headed down that road, maybe everywhere you go, you're causing division or strife just seems to follow you around like it's your bread and butter. Be careful, but take comfort because God also loves to save divisive people and false teachers divisive people and false teachers. God saves them. Paul himself was familiar with this because he too denied the deity of Christ. 
But Paul saved him. Paul goes on to command us, be careful and avoid them. But wait a minute, how do we get them saved and to repent if we're to avoid them? Should we even avoid people? Doesn't that go against what Jesus said? Judge not, lest you also be judged. Matthew 7, should we avoid people? Isn't God love and peace and this call for unity? But you're telling me to avoid people. Well, 14 verses later, Jesus himself says, Beware of wolves who come to you in sheep's clothing. And he says, You will know them. How? By their fruits. You will know them by their fruit. So we know that Jesus, our Lord himself, isn't contradicting himself. So there has to be a manner in which we can judge and look out and mark false teaching to avoid it. So what Paul says here we are to do. Mark it, avoid it, steer clear of it, but don't give up because God can save even them. Even them. It also means that because they have smooth talk and flattery, it's seldom popular to make a stand against them. Seldom will it be popular for me to come up and tell you and warn you and urge you to be vigilant and watch against them because many times false teachers are kind. Their, their conduct is impeccable. They're absolute gentlemen. They're nice people, in other words. And they're convincing people. So many times I will take heat, maybe for even this, words of caution, for urging you to be vigilant. Mark this, that also false teachers rarely know that they're false teachers. It's not like, hey, I am going to go in the church and I am going to subvert the authority of the word of God and I'm going to teach something different. I'm going to lead everybody in their stream. Often that's not the way it happens. Often it's little tiny, small departures from the truth that later on plant seeds that turn into radical doctrines like you're denying the very deity of Christ or you're saying that he has a spiritual brother, Lucifer, or something to that effect. Small departures from the truth that if we're not discerning, we'll be captivated. Be careful. Watch out for them. Greet the sheep, avoid the wolves, and you could say, wait for the shepherd. A greater promise. There's a warning, but there's a greater promise. Verse 20. The God of peace, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Few things here. This is the first time in all of the book of Romans, Paul just laid out one of the greatest theologies of our doctrine that we have here in Romans. This is the first time he even mentions Satan. First time. What's significant about that? Means we should likewise be careful in how much of our struggle in the Christian life we attribute to Satan. Some of us are so prone to be like, Satan is attacking me here. Satan is doing this here. My struggle here is Satan. And while that may be true, and he may have a hand in some cases, we need to be careful. 
because we're all dealing with the effects of the fall and the curse. It's one thing we see about that. The other thing we see about Satan is he is real. So for those of us who maybe fall on this end of the spectrum of Satan's doing everything, there's some of us who fall on the other end of the spectrum and act as if he doesn't even exist. As if he's not even a force to be reckoned with. So this balances us here in that one, he exists and he has a role, but two, don't make too much of it because the God of peace will soon crush him. Crush him. How? Under your feet. Under your feet. There's a very, almost a paradoxical statement. The God of peace will what? Crush. Wait, how can this God be peaceful and yet crushing his enemies? Many of us are moms and dads. And when you see somebody threaten your children, what happens? There's this, this welling of emotion that comes up inside of you that just wants to crush whatever happens or was that ever threatening them. And you don't even hesitate. God's love towards his people is such that he, although is a God of peace, will move with violence towards the enemies of his children at the second coming. As we wait, as we wait, when is this going to be? When is this going to be? Soon. Soon. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. How can I say that with confidence when it happened almost 2,000 years ago that Paul wrote this? How can that be soon, Paul? Peter answers that for us. Brothers, do not be deceived, for one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness, but he is patient. He is patient, and then he goes on to say, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. In the night. There's indicators in the New Testament that it would be longer than any of them thought. Because men will go about saying, where is the promise of his coming? For all things continue just as they were from the days of creation. Where is the promise of his coming? It's going to come like a thief in the night. Blessed are those who are found awake and waiting. The God of peace will soon come. Brothers and sisters, I urge you this morning, be ready be ready. And as you look in this Christmas season and we think about Advent, as we look at all the, the decorations, and you remember the long period of silence and the joy that happened when Christ came and it was born, the fulfillment of prophecy after 400 years, nobody thought he was going to come. Brothers and sisters, let that stoke your fire to wait. Anticipate it. He's coming and it's soon. Amen. May, we, may the Lord work that in us to wait and to live in light of that waiting, that we would be heavenly minded in order to be of earthly good. Like we saw last week that others will go into the pit, that that would move us to hold the rope for them as we give. Maybe you're here and you're visiting and you're just checking out this whole church thing, just seeing how it goes. I want to encourage you, 
The Lord is coming soon. You might be like, ah, it's thousands of years. Yeah, it'll be thousands of years. Romans 2, the Lord's patience is meant to lead you to repentance. Now is the time. Don't hesitate. Come talk to me. Come talk to him. Come talk to whoever friend you know about this Jesus because it's of utmost importance because he is a God of peace but will turn into a God of violence when he returns. I believe the praise band is going to come up. If you have anything you want to pray with me about, if the, if the sermon moved you and you want to pray, I'm going to be over here again in this room, off to my right, your left. We'll pray in there. I'll strive with you in prayer. I'll pray with you and for you, for whatever you might like. But may God move in this church, that we would love one another, that we would be vigilant, and that we would wait for Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how practical it truly is that you meet us where we are. I pray that you would work in us a love that flows towards people unlike us, motivated by the mercy you have shown us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be vigilant. Vigilant, but not to the point of pride, that we would remain humble and loving. And Lord, I ask that you would Work in us this Christmas season a desire for your return, a passion to see your face and to rejoice in your presence, Lord, that we wouldn't be content with the things of this world, but that we would press on in prayer and, and, and wait for you to come. Lord, do this in our church for your glory and your namesake. Amen.